Sunday Showcase, highlighting some of the best audio storytelling found anywhere. All right here on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Welcome back to Mutual Presents. I'm Jack Ward, and right here we have my familiar Penny the Cat. It's 2024. Did you start your resolution list this year? We're resolved to bring another great year of new and old audio drama for the world. And this week, it's the mind reader and the writer in the family. So sit back and enjoy the fire and wind back those clocks. Campana's First Nighter Program. From the Little Theater off Times Square. Starring Barbara Luddy and Olin Soule with an all-star cast presented by Campana, the quality name in cosmetics. Theater Time. And another new play is scheduled for its premiere performance on the stage of the Little Theater of Times Square. Yes, this is a big night on the Great White Way. Outside the theater, there'll be a crowd of sightseers watching the arrival of the celebrities who always attend an opening night. So, let's be there on time. Here's our host for the evening, the genial first-nighter. Good evening, everybody. From advance reports, I understand that this will be a really gala first-night affair. I suggest that we start right away for the theater. Here's my cab. Won't you step in? All right, driver, we're off. Up Broadway and across 42nd Street. Here's the theater center of the world, the dream and aspiration of every playwright, every actor, every actress. And now, right ahead of us, is the little theater off Times Square. Well, here we are. Out there, mister. You're in front of that newsreel. Oh, camera. my gracious. I think I see Cary Grant. Well, as I live and breathe, isn't that the governor? Have your tickets ready, please. Have your tickets ready, please. Good evening, Mr. First Nighter. The usher will show you to your seats. Thank you. We'll go right in. Well, here we are, ladies and gentlemen, quickly ushered into our down front and center seats. And I know you'll want to look at the program with me. Tonight's play, I see, is entitled Mind Reader. A new three-act drama by Floyd Miller. The play co-stars Barbara Luddy and Olin Soule, which in itself promises a most enjoyable evening. Miss Luddy is to play the role of Lynn Brooks, a Boston society belle. Mr. Soule is cast as Joe Madison, better known as Professor Zorro, the mind reader with the carnival. And true to form, here's a superb all-star supporting cast, including Joan Banks as Miss Mason, Lynn's secretary, Lou Krugman as Al, a carnival barker, Reese Taylor as Norman Richter, a somewhat snobbish Bostonian, and other famous names. But there's just time before First Curtain to listen a moment to Frank Worth and the famous First Nighter Orchestra. Curtain! First Curtain! There's the signal for First Curtain, the house lights are out, and here's the play. Fear. We're all afraid of something. Insecurity, ill health, jealousy. You soon learn that when you're in my racket. I'm a mind reader in a carnival, and I try to find out what the people are afraid of and then sell it back to them. Only, I give them the reverse side of the coin. Health, wealth, love. What do you want? I'll promise it to you. (laughs) 
the infinite, and he gives you answers to your most perplexing problems. He reads your thoughts like most men read a book. Professor Zorro knows you better than you know yourself. Hurry, 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 hurry. Boston is a lousy carnival town, and I played the half-empty tents all week. But then on Thursday, a girl wandered into my tent and stood there looking up at me with a half-smile. She was lovely, poised, quietly but expensively dressed. Her cool beauty kept interfering with my concentration, so I decided to go to work on her. I signaled my assistant. He walked over and shoved a paper and pencil in her hand so she could write down a thought. At first she refused, but finally laughed and scribbled down a few words. My assistant looked at the words and then threw me the signal. Will you please tell this lady what she is thinking? I get the impression that the lady is deeply troubled. Someone near her is the source of the trouble. It's not quite clear, but uh, I think it's a man. Yes, yes, it is a man. He says he loves her, but she's not certain. She fears he only pretends and that he really wants to marry her for her money. Am I correct? An expression of bewilderment, or was it fright, came over her face. The color drained from her cheeks, and for a moment I thought she might faint. And then she turned and ran from the tent. I called out, Wait, I want to talk to you. Come back, please. But she had gone out into the midway. I jumped down from the platform and ran after her. But suddenly I found my way barred by a lean, tight-faced woman with gimlet blue eyes. Will you stand aside, madam? You're trying to follow that girl. Okay, I'm following the girl. Now, if you'll Leave please... Leave her alone. Your phony act has upset her enough already. Phony? You call the great Professor Zorro phony? Stand aside before I hypnotize you and use you for a tent stake. Hello. Well, don't be alarmed. I'm Professor Zorro. I saw how upset you were, and I wanted to be sure that you were okay. I'm all right, thank you. You, uh, think he wants to marry you for your money? How did you know? Ah, there are many occult forces at work if man but knows how to utilize them. An attunement with the infinite can wed the thoughts of two minds. Extrasensory perception... You're talking get... nonsense. No one can read minds. No? Then how did I know about your problem? Well, I, I don't know. I, I can't understand... Don't be frightened. I can't really read your mind. But how, back there in the tent, how... It's all a trick. Now, does that make you feel better? I, I guess it does, but I, I still don't... My name's Joe Madison. What's yours? Lynn Brooks. I'm really a magazine writer. Only joined the carnival to collect material for a story. Hey, you like some cotton candy? You can't go to a carnival without eating cotton candy. All right. Hey, cheer up. You must have one friend left. I'm sorry. Lynn, whatever it is. Could I help? Why should you want to help me? You never saw me before. Well, in this racket, you get to be a pretty good judge of people. Well? I, I don't know what to say. All right. Could you come to my house for dinner tomorrow night? I sure could. Here's my address. But, Joe, it, it might be dangerous for you. In this racket, you're never safe. I soon discovered that Lynn Brooks was Back Bay, Boston. She lived in an imposing house of weathered red brick and stiff-necked servants. I found her in the library, alone, looking small and frightened and very beautiful. Hello, Joe. I, I didn't think you'd come. I, I wish you hadn't. 
I'm sorry I talked that way yesterday because there's nothing you can do. I was just tired and upset. Uh, there's more to it than that. I'm not leaving. Oh, you're sweet. You remind me of a little boy who's going to fight the bully just so he can carry his girl's books home from school. But don't you see, Joe, there's no school bully here. There, there are nothing but shadows, my own foolish fears, and you can't fight those. Hush. Here come the others. Don't stand so close to me. Two people entered the library. First came a man, tall, handsome, sure of himself, even snobbish. His manner was suave and condescending, and I disliked him at once. Close behind him stalked the woman who had tried to stop me from following Lynn at the carnival. Well, Professor Zorro, this is a surprise. This is Professor Zorro, Mr. Norman Richter, Miss Mason, my secretary. Professor Zorro, where do you teach, Professor Harvard? Professor Zorro is a mind reader in a carnival. Well, how amusing. Tell me, Professor, what am I thinking? You're thinking that I'm a charlatan. <laughs> but of course... However, you're reading your conscience, not my mind. But you're also worried, for you're not certain that I have no power to read your thoughts. And you wouldn't like that. A safe generalization. All of us have thoughts we'd prefer to keep to ourselves. Yes, of course we have. Isn't that true, Lynn? <laughs> Look, Professor, even our charming and innocent hostess blushes at the thought of complete revelation. <laughs> no, Professor, you'll have to do better than that. Be patient, Mr. Richter, and perhaps I will. Linda, this is no longer amusing. Hey, wait a minute. Joe, don't be angry. I'm not angry, but I've spotted that bully we've been looking for. May I carry your books if I take care of him? Here's a dollar for you, Professor. Now get out. There's no pay coming, brother. I'm here as a guest. Lynn, you didn't invite this... I did. I invited him for dinner. My dear Lynn, this sort of thing could start a scandal. Lynn, you know nothing of this person. He's probably a fortune hunter. Dismiss him at once. I demand it. You demand it. Who do you think you are? I am her fiancé. Oh, now I get it. Well, I guess I'll be going. Joe... It's okay, Lynn. It's better this way. But don't worry, because school is going to keep for a good long time. I stalked out of the library and started for the entrance hall when I heard the voice of Norman Richter. Lynn, what possible reason could you find for picking up a, a buffoon like that? Darling, I've told you before, if any man tried to come between us, I'd stop at nothing. Not even murder. And the curtain comes down on the first act of tonight's play in the little theater of Times Square. Smoking in the outer lobby or downstairs only, please. Smoking in the outer lobby. And now, let me switch the microphone for an exciting interview from backstage. Come in, Larry Keating. Yes, ladies, between the acts, I'm going to interview our lovely star, Barbara Luddy. And here she is. Hello, everyone. Barbara, have you personally tried our sponsor's new cream makeup, Magic Touch? Indeed, yes. Did you like it? I most certainly did, and I most certainly do. Beyond all doubt, Magic Touch is as magic as its name. Well, you know, the ladies tell me that it's really an entirely new and different kind of makeup. And that's the truth, Larry. Just why is it different? Well, first, because it's a wafer-thin cream makeup in a compact. So convenient. You don't need a powder puff, sponge, or water. Just your fingertips. And it goes on as smoothly as a silk glove, without being greasy. You mean it doesn't take a lot of special preparation and careful application to get it on your face? Look, Larry, it's as simple as this. See? You just stroke your fingers across the surface of the makeup, then you smooth it over your face. It's as simple as that. Is that the only difference about Magic Touch? Oh, my, no. The important difference is the flawless complexion loveliness that Magic Touch gives to any complexion. And, Larry... Yes, Barbara? 
Well, a man wouldn't know it, perhaps, but all the women know that complexion makeup style has changed just as much as clothes have changed. Last year's makeup look is just as outmoded as short skirts. I know what you mean. The new complexion is more delicate, isn't it? More Dresden doll-like. Why, of course, Larry, you are observant. And magic touch is perfection itself when it comes to having a fragile Dresden doll complexion beauty. Thank you, Barbara, for this time and for this interview. And ladies, may I suggest that if you want to have the loveliest-looking complexion you ever dreamed of having, try Magic Touch, Campana's new cream makeup. The new magic ingredient in Magic Touch makes it different, easier to blend, smoother for the skin, more complexion perfection for hour after hour. Magic Touch is only $1 for the large compact. The special introductory compact, only 39 cents. You'll never know how pretty you can be until you try Magic Touch. Curtain, second curtain. The first nighters are hurrying down the aisles to their seats. The lights are dimmed, and here's the second act of The Mind Reader. Hey, Joe, where are you? Here, Al, my tent. Oh, oh I didn't see you. Hey, there's a dame wandering around the midway looking for you. Yeah, well, don't send her in here. I'm too tired for any private readings this afternoon. Eight shows a day is enough for any man to work. This is no private reading, brother. This is strictly upper crust. Yeah? Got a fur piece around her neck worth the price of a main tent. Well, send her in, will you, Al? Okay. Some guys get all the luck. I should have been a mind reader. Hey, lady, uh, Professor Zorro's in here. Hello, Joe. Hello, Lynn. Here, pull up a barrel and sit down. Oh, wait a minute. Let me dust it off a bit. There. I came to apologize to you for last night. Forget it. I hope that you'll forget it, all of it. All of it? Yes. Even forget that you're on a jam and need help? Is that what you mean? I, I only mean that I made a mistake in ever talking to you. Oh? How do you figure that? Well, this, this whole thing was a product of my imagination. I'm sorry if I've caused you any trouble or embarrassment, and I do appreciate what you tried to do, but please consider the incident closed. So Richter's intimidated you. Don't be silly. Or is it that you'd rather marry a louse than have a scandal in society? You can think what you like, but please consider the question closed. No, it's not that easy, baby. When I get something between my teeth, I usually hang on until it's finished. This is finished. I've just told you that. That doesn't finish it. Not in my book. Don't you understand what I'm saying? I want the whole thing dropped. Now, look, Lynn. I'm not a guy who usually sticks his nose in where it isn't wanted. But in this case, I'm going to do just that. I don't like Mr. Norman Richter. I don't think he'll give you anything but heartache, and I intend to find out what makes him tick. No, Joe, you can't. He might kill you. Oh? Please, Joe, he's insanely jealous, and, and if he thought that you... That I was in love with you? Why, I didn't say that. It, it's just that Norman has such an imagination Does that... it take imagination to think that I might be in love with you? Why, of course it does. You, you hardly know me. We hardly know each other. But you're worried that I'll get hurt. Why? Why, because... Because you're my friend, Joe. That's all? Being a good friend is a lot, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, I think it is. Then you'll promise me that you'll... I'll make one promise to you, Lynn. I promise that I'll do my best not to get murdered. Hello, give me the city editor, please. Hello, Stan. This is Joe Madison. Oh, I'm okay. I've been traveling around the country a bit. Look, I want a favor. 
Have one of the boys go through the paper's morgue and see if you have anything on a Norman Richter. It's spelled R-I-C-K-T-E-R, Richter. That's right. Yeah, I'll drop around a day or so for anything you've got. Hello, police department. Give me Lieutenant Coombs, please. Hello, Coombs. This is Joe Madison. Oh, I'm okay. Yeah, yeah, still with the carney. Read your mind? <laughs> I don't say those words. Look, Coombs, I got a favor to ask. See if you have a file on Norman Richter, spelled R-I-C-K-T-E-R. Yes, I know it may be an alias, but see if you have anything under that name first. What's in it? Why, I'll bring you a big black cigar. Hey, Joe, what's been eating you lately? You've been missing cues right and left this week. Missed two of them tonight. Yeah, I know, I know. It gives a carnival a bad name when you flop the mind reading. Makes the suckers think that everything is phony. Yeah, I know I've been muffing the act, Al, but after tomorrow, everything will be okay. Or there won't be any act. You understand, kid, I'm only saying these things to be wrong. Good. Sure, I know, Al, and I appreciate it. But, as I say, after tomorrow, everything's going to be okay. I hope. Yeah, good. Uh, you're looking tired, Joe. There's not enough suckers out there to crowd a cane pitch. Let's knock off the last show and you go hit the hay. Yeah, I think I will, Al. I'll do that right now. My rooming house was near the lot where our tents were pitched and it was one of the less fashionable suburbs of Boston. At midnight, the streets looked pretty grim. Refuse littered the deserted sidewalks, and the tired buildings leaned against each other and stared down at me with sightless windows. My nerves were on edge. I began to hear things. I heard footsteps following me. But when I stopped, so did the steps. And when I started up again, so did my pursuer. It was four blocks to my rooming house, Four agonizing blocks. Fear cut through to my muscles, and I knew that it would be physically impossible for me to walk the remaining distance with my back toward those footsteps. I stopped and swung around to face them. Halfway down the block, I saw a muffled figure. I shouted to it. You there! What do you want? Why are you following me? There was no answer. But suddenly I saw a brief glitter of polished metal, and then I heard the shots. <laughs> I dropped behind a flight of stone stairs and listened to the sound of my own gasping breath. I couldn't believe it, but I wasn't touched. I pulled myself together and ran the rest of the way home. I took the stairs two at a time and then, with a gasp of relief, shut and locked the door. I was safe. But as I leaned against the door, trying to catch my breath, I noticed a strange thing. The light in my room was burning... I turned around slowly and saw that the single battered chair by the foot of my bed was occupied. Good evening. Miss Mason. I've been waiting for you, Professor Zorro. Sit down. And the curtain comes down on the second act of tonight's play in the little theater on Times Square. Smoking downstairs or in the outer lobby only, please. Smoking downstairs. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it looks to me as if an important announcement was coming on deck. For here is Larry Keating. Ladies, what is important these wintry days is keeping your pretty hands free of dryness and chapping. 
And what is better for assuring soft, smooth skin than famous, dependable Italian balm? My goodness, but it's nice to have Italian balm again after its absence during the war years. My husband has always been so complimentary about my hands, and I take a good deal of pride myself in keeping them as pretty as possible. It's so easy with Italian balm. Somehow there's just nothing that seems to keep my skin so smooth, so attractive. Yes, ladies, rich, dependable Italian balm is back again with all of its original ingredients, all of its original goodness. Same pre-war quality, same pre-war quantity, same pre-war price. Get reacquainted with this famous lotion. Buy a bottle tomorrow. See for yourself why so many women say Italian balm has no equal in the wintertime. Snyders are all in their seats, ready for the last act, and there goes the curtain. <sighs> Miss Mason, I appreciate your feelings, but you must pull yourself together. I... It's a weird story, but something can be done about it. However, you must cooperate fully with me. I'll, I'll try, prof... Mr. Madison. Now, I've told you the 75 principal questions asked by people in my act. It's imperative for our purposes that you learn them tonight. Now, will you write them down, this time by number? Ready? Mr. Medicine, I'm afraid. Of Norman Richter? Leave him to me. Now, ready? Number one. Will I marry the man I love? Number one. Will I marry the man I love? Number two. Should I change my job? Two. Should I change my job? Number three. Will the future bring me happiness? Number three. Will the future bring me happiness? spreading over the eastern rim of the Boston sky, and I was repeating for the hundredth time. Question number 31. 31. 31. Will my boy return home? Number 58. 58. Will my family give me a decent burial? Number two. Number two. Should I change my job? Good. Now, I'll repeat once again. The customer must write down his question on paper. The assistant looks at the paper and informs me of the subject number by the manner in which he repeats the sentence, Will you please tell this lady what she is thinking? Each word in that sentence is numbered from one to ten. The assistant indicates the question's catalog number by pausing slightly after the correct words in the sentence. By pausing slightly after the correct words in the sentence. Right. Thus, if the question was, Will my family give me a decent burial? which is question number 58. The assistant would pause after the fifth and eighth words, like this. Will you please tell this lady what she is thinking? Will you please tell this lady what she... Mr. Madison, I'll never be able to go through with this. You must, Miss Mason. You must be ready by this afternoon. Now, once again... Well, I mean, I didn't expect you here. It's all right, Lynn. I brought him. May I come in? 
Joe, please. Lynn, tell me if you love Norman Richter. Oh, Joe, I... You do wonder if he loves you for yourself, don't you? Why didn't you test him by telling him who you really are? You know? Yes, I know. Were you afraid to tell him? Maybe that was it. Oh, Joe, here he comes. Be careful. Don't worry about me. Linda, I wondered where... What's he doing here? What's the matter, Richter? Afraid of me? Don't be ridiculous of a fake mind reader. Miss Mason, will you... A fake? Me? Suppose I give you a demonstration, Richter. Do you dare face one? What on earth are you talking about? Yes, Mr. Richter, why don't you? Thank you, Miss Mason. Now, if you'll all stand over there. I'll do no such thing. I dare you. Why, you... All right, go ahead. Good. Now, let's see. uh, uh, Well, Miss Mason, would you act as my assistant? Very well. Good, thank you. Now, hand Mr. Richter a pencil and paper. What for? Because you're going to write down your questions and show them to Miss Mason so that there can be no denials when I answer them correctly. Go on. Write. Very well. Now, please hand the paper to Miss Mason. Will you please tell this gentleman what he's thinking? Tell and what? Fourth and seventh words. Number 47. You're wondering when you'll travel. It's a trick. You're finding Boston an increasingly unpleasant city and would like to get away from it. Many of your plans are about to blow up and you're planning a quick exit. Or should I say, escape. Norman, is that true? He wrote here on the paper asking about travel. I wrote that, but he made up the rest. It's ridiculous. You're still not convinced? Let's try once more. Go on, Richter, if you dare. Ah, now, pass it to Miss Mason, please. Will you please tell this gentleman what he is thinking? Number 28. He wonders if you'll find happiness in marriage. Am I correct? It's some rotten trick, or I refuse to submit any further You're this. wondering about happiness in marriage, but happiness to you means money. You're wondering if Lynn is really rich. What the devil are you? And now you're remembering the other women you married for money. The women you blackmailed. Lynn, don't listen to him. Yes, you'll listen, and so will you. Listen to the roll call of your victims. Maud Rinner, Miami, 1936. Mrs. Mary Hubbard, San Francisco, 1940. Patricia Collins, Manhattan, 1943. No. Oh, no. What kind of a freak are you that you can read men's minds? Most of it is plain old-fashioned gumshoe work. Like catching you for attempted murder. You're insane. Last night, a bullet buried itself in a wall three inches away from my head. This morning, I entered your hotel room and found a gun. Ballistics tell me the two of them match. Joe, look out! No use running, Richter! I couldn't resist that one, even if the cops are waiting outside. Oh, Joe... Joe. Ah, now everything's all right, baby. Get up, Richter. Mr. Madison, before you turn him over to the police, I think Richter should know that the girl he's been making love to isn't rich at all. What do you mean? Lynn Brooks grew up in the West, but last year she inherited the Brooks fortune from her aunt on the proviso that she spend a year in Boston and see if she didn't like it. But she hated the social duties involved, and so she traded places with her secretary. You... You mean that... You've been making love to the secretary. Miss Mason there is the real heiress. From the first, she was afraid of you and what you might do as a fortune hunter, and she finally came to me for help. Yes, Richter, you've had quite a career, but this is your masterpiece. You've swindled yourself.
were meant for night, darling. For sweethearts like you and me. The lights make it a fairyland. It is a fairyland. Hurry, 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 hurry. The great professor Zorro knows you better than you know yourself. Are you troubled? You got problems? He helps you overcome your troubles. He solves your problems. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Professor Zorro knows you better than you know yourself. Health, security, love. You got problems? Problems? No. He's a phony, but he can solve them for you. He's not a phony. How did you know? Why, darling, I'm a mind reader. First Nighter program starring Olin Soule and Barbara Luddy is a copyrighted radio feature. Tonight's play was pure fiction and did not refer to real people or actual events. Play safe. Never scratch an irritated skin. It can cause serious infection. Use DDD Prescription, a cooling, soothing liquid that brings almost instant relief from the irritating discomfort caused by eczema rash hives. DDD is a doctor's formula... Proved in use for over 50 years. Trial bottle, 35 cents. The First Nighter program came to you over CBS, where 99 million people gather every week. The Columbia Broadcasting System. Campana's First Nighter Program. From the Little Theater of Times Square. Starring Olin Soule and Barbara Luddy with an all-star cast sent to you by Campana, the quality name in cosmetics. Broadway, theater time. And tonight a new play makes its bow from the stage of the Little Theater of Times Square. An opening night is truly an exciting occasion. And part of the fun is rubbing elbows with the stars of stage and screen, glamorous debutantes, and swarms of other fashionable folk. Now, here is our host in Top Hat and Tails, the genial first-nighter, 
Good evening. Traffic can be heavy on these Broadway opening nights. Here's my cab. Won't you step in? All right, driver, to the little theater. Up Broadway, across 42nd Street, and into the bustling, colorful Times Square District, world capital of theater land. And just ahead is the famous little theater. Well, here we are. Hey, old chap, isn't that Reese's Steve? Oh, my, I'm sure I saw Robert. Please, really, no autographs. Now, this is just the heart. Have your tickets ready, please. Have your tickets ready, please. Good evening, Mr. Burr Snyder. The usher will show you to your seats. Thank you. We'll go right in. Here we are, ladies and gentlemen, in comfortable down-front seats, all ready to enjoy the premier performance of another original Broadway play. Lovely ladies and their handsome escorts are being shown to their seats by the ushers. Yes, and there's Frank Worth and the famous First Nighter Orchestra in the pit. But now, let's glance through tonight's program. The play is entitled A Writer in the Family, written by James Arthur Roti, and co-starring Olin Soule and Barbara Luddy. Miss Luddy is cast as Nora Stevens, a writer of Western stories, better known to her readers as Shorty West. Mr. Soleil will play Bill Hanley, a highway surveyor. And what an all-star supporting cast. Hugh Studebaker, Mary Lansing, Paul Fries, and Arthur Q. Bryan. And now there's just a moment till First Curtain. There's a signal for First Curtain. The house lights are out, and here's the play. Now, you gag-blasted vulture, I'm going to count to three and then I'm coming for you. Gramps! When I do, I'm a coming smoking. One, two... Gramps! Hey! What's that? You calling me Nori? You know perfectly well I am. Now, you better come in here before you hurt yourself. Oh, holy jumping Jupiter. Anybody think you was my mother instead of my granddaughter? Me hurt myself? Now, <laughs> let me have Genevieve. Nori, did I ever tell you about the time me and Genevieve here captured them 16 rustlers? Well, I, I was riding up Black Bear Canyon, and all of a sudden I noticed something. It was Red they Johnson and 15 of the roughest, toughest hombres this side of the Mississippi. Yeah. They was the changing brands of Jeff Gordon's prize steers. Oh, shucks, somebody told you. Gramps, if your back is too sore to operate the gas pump, it's not going to get any better with you carrying on like Wild Bill Hickok. I was just practicing my draw. Now give me that six-gun. Now, you ain't going to hide Genevieve again. I most certainly am. Not that it'll do any good. You always manage to find her again. Right, too. Now, you better come in and lie down. Me? Lay down? I just got up. Gramps? Oh, what chances no buzzard like me got with two females around here anyway. Hello, Aggie. Hi. Well, get me a magazine. Go look at the pretty picture. Yeah, looks like I ain't seen this one yet. Oh, and uh, not that one, Gramps. Well, it's a western, ain't it? Yes, but I, I, I've already started a story in that one. Now, since when do you read westerns? Oh, since... Oh, never mind. Now, you, you take this one and run along. Isn't so you can't do nothing around here anymore. Ooh, that was close. Nora. Yes, Aggie? What are you going to do when Grabs finds out that's his picture in true western yarns? Oh, he'll never even recognize it. The picture was taken years ago when Gramps still had a beard. Well, sooner or later he's going to find out that you're the shorty West who's been writing the Cole Sheldon stories for true western yarns. Not so loud. He might be listening at the keyhole again. Well, it's about time he learned the truth. But the filling station just doesn't pay anymore. Nora, you've been keeping things going with your story money, haven't you? Yes, Aggie, but Gramps mustn't know. He thinks I'm writing a novel. It'd only hurt his pride to find out that he's really dependent on me. Don't you see? Well, then why did you send his picture to that magazine editor? The editor wanted a picture of Shorty West. I couldn't send him my picture, could I? You know what Benjamin J. Rice thinks of women. Yeah, strictly N.G. Mm. 
Hey, what's the matter with that guy? Didn't he ever have a mother? Oh, that's our ring. Mm, I'll get it. Hello? Yes? What? Who did you say? Shorty West. Oh, Aggie, it's him. It's him? Who? Benjamin J. Rice, editor of True Western Yarn. Uh-oh. Uh, what's that? Just happened to be passing through town and thought you'd drop in and see Shorty West. Aggie, this is awful. He wants to meet Shorty West in person. Golly, you better start raising a beard in a hurry. <laughs> Gus. Huh? Hey, Gus, take a look here a minute. Oh, what gives? Hey, careful of the tripod. Take a look through this thing. See if you see the same thing I do. Uh -huh. Well, what do you see? Nothing. Only that old white house next to the filling station. Only? That's it. We're laying out Highway 87 so that it's a going right through that house. Holy smokers. You sure you got this thing set right? Positive. I've checked everything three times just to make sure. Highway 87 is a going right through Mr. Stevens' house. Stevens? Is that the guy's name? That's what it says here. Here, see? In Stevens. Yeah, that's it, all right. Yeah. And maybe we ought to drive over and pay this Stevens guy a call. It's okay with me, but somehow I got a feeling he ain't gonna like us. <laughs> See how simple it is, Aggie? Uh-huh. But, Nora, I came out here to pay you a visit, not to play nursemaid to a broken-down gas pump. Why do you have to go out to lunch with this editor? Because he asked me to. See, he thinks I'm Shorty West's private secretary. Oh. And what happens when he finds out that Nora Stevens and Shorty West are the same person? Well, I'll, I'll think of something. All, all I know is that Mr. Rice is ready to sign a contract for a series of Cole Sheldon stories. Well, swell, but I thought he didn't like women. He likes the sound of my voice over the phone. He told me so. He did? Mm-hmm. His is rather nice, too. And where is Shorty West supposed to be while you're out billing and cooing over your lunch? Well, I don't know just yet. I said he was out and he'd be back later. Yeah, you better watch your step before you develop one of these split personalities. Oh, hush. Gee, I hope Mr. Rice stops first here at the gas station like I asked him to. I wouldn't want him to get tangled up with Gramps at a time like this. Uh, I think you can manage the station while I'm gone. Oh, I can manage, all right. But can you? You just leave this Mr. Rice to me. I'll make him wish he never wrote that bosh about incompetent women writers. Well, unless I'm mistaken, you can start right now. What do you mean? Look, isn't that your editor now? Oh, we sure got out here from town in a hurry. He must be a fast driver. Who's that with him? Oh, probably just his chauffeur. Hiya there, beautiful. That's him, all right. Just listen to that line. Well, he's not just a fast driver. He's wearing riding boots. Oh, well, that's just local color, Aggie. Well, as I live and breathe, you, you are beautiful. Actually beautiful. What did you expect? Two heads? I... <laughs> well, no. You see, I was looking for an N. Stevens and just thought I'd inquire here. Well, I'm Nora Stevens, Miss Nora Stevens. Well, I, I expected to find a man. Well, yes, I know. You do? Yes. Did you bring the necessary papers with you? Papers? Yes, the ones I'm supposed to sign. I have full power of attorney, you know. Boy, things sure do get around fast. We hardly got a tripod set up, and right away everybody gets wise. Yeah. Well, Miss Stevens, I reckon you've already made up your mind to some nice fancy price, too. Well, uh, shall we discuss it at lunch? Lunch? Well, you are going to take me to lunch, aren't you? Well, I... I thought the Oasis Rendezvous would be rather nice. The Oasis Rendezvous? Well, it's miles from here. Well, Mr. Rice, shall we go? Why, yes. Yes, of course. 
Miss Stevens, my arm. Hey, you're not running out on me, are you? She, she called you Mr. Rice or something. Yeah. Gosh, she can call me Mr. Smoogelfoot for all I care. <laughs> One side, Gus. You heard the lady. She wants to eat. And the curtain comes down on the first act of the night's play in the little theater off Times Square. Smoking in the outer lobby or downstairs only, please. All right now, ladies. Here's Larry Keating with the latest word about the newest sensation in the world of beauty. Ladies... Once in a lifetime, a sensational new development appears in the world of beauty. So glamorous, so new, so different, that it makes everything that preceded it look out of style. You must be referring to that miraculous new cream makeup called Magic Touch. Did you say Magic Touch? Oh, tell me about Magic Touch. Magic Touch, my dear, is Campana's new wafer-thin cream makeup that comes in a convenient-to-carry white and gold compact. What does it do? It magically transforms your complexion quickly into flawless loveliness. Here, try it and see for yourself. What do I do? Just stroke your fingertips across the surface of Magic Touch. Then smooth it on your face and blend it in. Oh, divine. What makes it go on so smoothly? Magic Touch contains a new magic ingredient that makes it blend with your skin better than any cream makeup yet invented without being greasy. I love the way it feels. Not mask-like and no caked stiffness. Magic Touch gives you that modern, unmade-up look because the new complexion demands a delicate, fragile Dresden doll complexion beauty. Heavy-looking, obvious makeup is out. Now, do I powder? No, if you want that new luminous look, and I don't mean shiny. Yes, if you like a dull, matte-like finish. I love it, just as it is. Magic Touch is all you need to be beautiful for hours and hours and hours. By actual test on groups of women with all types of skin, Magic Touch was superior for lasting quality. Stayed lovely longer. Retouching unnecessary until after the sixth hour. Most makeups require mending after two or three hours. And don't forget how inexpensive this magic makeup is. Only one dollar for the large compact of Magic Touch. Only 39 cents for the special introductory size. Try Magic Touch tomorrow. See how much prettier you can be. First-nighters are hurrying down the aisles to their seats. The lights are dimmed, and here's the second act of The Writer in the Family. My name is Rice, Benjamin J. Rice. Yes, sir. Why, yes. I... Why, it's you, Shorty, you old rascal, having your secretary tell me you were out. Shorty, huh? Yes, yeah, Shorty West. Nope. Can't rightly say that I recollect anybody with a handle like that around these parts. Ah, uh, must live in the next county state. Oh, oh, that's marvelous! Why, I'd know you from your picture any time, even if you have shaved off your beard. <laughs> Ain't had my picture took in over thirty years. Huh? Now, whatever it is you're selling, I don't want any. What? Now, see here, you can't give me the brush off like this. Can't, huh? Oh, so dynamic western thrillers have offered you more, have they? All right, I'll meet their price. I'll even top it. I'll get... I'll get along with you. Yeah, I, why, I'm you... going to count three, and then I'm coming for you. When I do, I'm coming to smoking. One, oh, two... Oh! More coffee, baby? No. No, thanks, sir. Benjamin. I'd like to 
dance again? No, I... You know, somehow your voice doesn't sound like it did over the telephone. Oh, well, you, your voice never does sound quite natural over a telephone, does it? No, I guess it doesn't, but... Yeah. Well, just why do you pretend to hate women well, when you... Me? Hate women? Why, I like them very much. Especially pretty ones like you, baby. You say the sweetest things, Benjamin, if only you meant them. Why, I do. Here I am practically throwing myself at your feet. You, what do you do but doubt my sincerity? Well, if you're such a sincere person, then why have you been avoiding the subject of writing? Have I? You most certainly have. You've let me talk my head off about Shorty West, and never once have you even so much as let on that you ever heard of him. Well, it's all been wonderful, but everything has to end sometime. Nora, my name is not Benjamin Rice, as I've let you think. I'm just plain, ordinary Bill Hanley. Bill Hanley? Yeah, baby. Now you know. Well, go on. Tell me to get out, to go peddle my papers. I deserve it. But, gosh, I'd sure do it again if I ever get the chance. Oh. Well, isn't that strange? Is it? I never knew editors didn't use their real names, but Ben, uh, I mean Bill, I'm so glad. You are? Yeah, because that makes things so much easier for me. Does it? Yes. You see, I've been kind of deceiving you, too. You have? Uh-huh. I'm Shorty West, the author. Well, what do you know? Well, then I'll have to call you Shorty, won't I? <laughs> you, you don't hate me for it, do you, Bill? What? Guys, no, me hate you just because your ma names you Shorty? Baby doll? It won't make any difference in the signing of the papers. Why, no, why should it? All you have to do is prove ownership. What's it matter if your name happens to be Shorty? Oh, I can prove ownership. I kept a carbon copy of everything, even the letters I wrote to you. Shorty, huh? You know, baby, I kind of like that name. Well, time's a-wasting. How about dancing this number, Shorty, baby? I'd love to, Bill. Now, look, lady, I've been trying to tell you, I ain't nobody's chauffeur. I'm Gus Norton, see? And me and my pal, Bill Hanley, both work for the county highway department. You mean he... That man isn't Benjamin J. Rice. No. And Bill sure ain't no magazine editor, neither. Oh, this is terrible. Noah's been kidnapped by that stranger. Oh, Bill ain't no stranger. Now, just take it easy. Take it easy? Why... Quick, quick, is there a telephone here? Say, mister, you look like you've seen a ghost. Maybe I did. Did you ever look into the business end of a six-shooter? You mean you've been held up? I have been threatened with a deadly weapon, with deliberate intent to do bodily harm. You have? Yes, by Shorty West, the writer. But I'll teach that old coot he can't make a monkey out of Benjamin J. Rice and get away with it. Did, did you say Benjamin J. Rice? I most certainly did. Where's the telephone? I'm going to call the sheriff and have that maniac put in jail where he belongs. Oh, this shouldn't happen to a prairie dog. Young woman, have you or haven't you a telephone? Oh, telephone. Well, yes. Uh, yes, I... Uh, it's in there. Thanks. Hey, that's a stock room. I don't see any telephone in here. Oh, there. So you're going to call the sheriff, are you? Hey, up. You can't do this to me. Oh, can't you go any faster? I'm doing the best I can on this road, baby. You stop calling me baby. You didn't seem to mind us a little while ago, shorty. Well, that was different. That was before Aggie telephoned me and told me you were just a county highway surveyor and not Benjamin Rice at all. But I tried to tell you, and I said I was sorry. Sorry? 
Well, do you realize that if Mr. Rice leaves before we can get there, my life is completely ruined? Poor Gramps, we, we'll both be in the bread line. Now, wait a minute. Talk sense. You'll still have the filling station, even if this Rice guy is as tough as you say. Not that it's any of your business, but the filling station's been losing money for over a year. Oh, gosh, baby. Uh, I mean, Shorty, baby. If there's anything I can no, do... No, you've done quite enough, thank you. Anyhow, we're there now. I just hope we're in time. Oh, sure. Look, there's a car out in front. Bill, I... Yeah? Well, well before I go in... Yeah? Well, never mind. You wouldn't understand. Oh. Oh, there's Aggie. No, darling, are you all right? Why, of course she's all right. Why shouldn't she be? And never mind about me. Where's Mr. Wright? Oh, he's still locked in the stockroom. Locked in the stockroom? But, but you said over the telephone that you and this Gus person were entertaining him till I could get here. Oh, well, we've got the radio playing right outside the door. <laughs> oh, Aggie. I had to lock him up. He was going to have Gramps arrested for drawing a bead on him. Oh, Gramps found Genevieve again. Oh, dear. Uh, if you ask me, it serves this rice guy right for being a woman hater in the first place. Nobody asked for your opinion, Bill Hanley. Yes. Haven't you done enough? First kidnapping and then making poor Nora lose her job. But are you satisfied? No. You have to build a highway right through the living room. Oh, I'm not a kidnapper and she hasn't lost her job yet. All I've done is take a beautiful girl out to lunch. Now, is that a crime? Aggie, what was that about the highway? He's building Highway 87 right smack through the middle of the living room. Gus told me so. Oh, Bill Hanley, is this true? Well, yes, but I can explain everything. It won't be necessary. You deliberately lied to me so you could get Gramps' property away from him as cheaply as possible. Oh, no, shorty baby, The less wait. I see of you from now on, the better I'll like but it. But I can explain. And that goes for your old tripod, too. And the curtain comes down on the second act of tonight's play in the little theater off Times Square. Smoking downstairs. Now, ladies and gentlemen... A momentary interlude conducted by Quizmaster Larry Keating. What hand lotion are thousands upon thousands of women purchasing in the stores these days? Italian bomb. So many women say it has no equal. What is the latest news about Italian bomb? After its absence during the war, it's back again, made just as it was before the war. With all of its original ingredients, with all of its original goodness. But what about its price? Has that gone spiraling upward like most everything else? Indeed, no. You get the same quantity, same quality... At exactly the same pre-war price. For protecting hands against dryness and chapping... Give me Italian Balm. It's so rich, so different from thin and watery lotions. For glamorizing hands, for keeping them soft and pretty. Italian Balm, if you please. It helps you get elected to the Holdable Hands Club. Young woman, am I to understand that you really wrote all those Cole Sheldon stories? Yes, that's right, Mr. Rice. I've decided to tell you the truth and get it over with. I see. So you're Shorty West? Yes, sir. <laughs> well, I'm mighty happy to meet you, Shorty. <laughs> I'm Martha Washington. <laughs> what are you talking about? 
try to pull anyway. <laughs> no, he, he's going to pour more coal on it. Mr. Rice, please. Now, I, I, I can explain. I can prove it. <laughs> oh, you can now. Well, I... I reckon you and me better have a showdown, partner. They went that away. Reach for your hog leg, stranger. Honest, Mr. Rice, it's me. Uh-huh. Then how do you explain this? Oh, that. Yeah, this picture of Shorty West. Well, that's Gramps, my grandfather. I sent you his picture because I... I thought you didn't like women. Oh, I see. Uh, young woman, you don't seem to understand my position. It's bad sales psychology to have a woman's name connected with a Western story. But why? Who wants to read Six Gun Revenge by Lucy Fairfax? <laughs> or Death in the Saddle by Nora Stevens? It's unthinkable. No, I tell you, Miss Stevens, I'd be the laughingstock of the entire publishing business. Bad for Gus. Yeah, and it's all my fault, too. All right, so it's your fault. Now, let's get away from this window and stop this eavesdropping. It ain't dignified. Shh, not so loud, Gus. They'll hear us. And furthermore, I don't believe you are Shorty West. And even if you were, I wouldn't publish a Western story written by you or any other woman. That's being very unfair, Mr. Rice. Just what have you got against women anyway? Nothing, my dear. Women writers of Western fiction, yes. Business is business, you know. But, uh... Women as women. <clears throat> Yourself, for example. I, uh, find you very attractive. Why, Mr. Rice. Yeah, as a matter of fact... Uh, as a matter of fact, I do believe we have a luncheon engagement. Why the nerve I... of that guy? Gus, he's a wolf. Bill Hanley, you, you get right out of here. You've caused enough trouble. No, sir, not till I've had a word with Mr. Rice. Who are you? Never mind that. Do you want good, authentic Western stories for your magazines? Why, Yes, of course I do. Well, then what difference does it make? Who writes them? Well, you Does the world have to know that Shorty West is a woman? Or does it? Well, now see here, you... Nobody's going to know that Shorty West is a woman unless you tell them. Yeah, but if old J.B. ever found out about Who's it... J.B.? The owner of True Western Yarns. He can't stand the sight of a woman. He can't even enjoy his yacht. Somebody's always referring it as she... Just what is J.B. going to say when he finds out that one of his prize editors has been taken in by a designing female? What do you mean by that? Well, you've been publishing stories by Shorty West, ain't you? To me, she looks very feminine indeed. J.B. would be furious. Well, you wouldn't dare to... Mm. What's that? Sounds like Gramps. Now get in there with you, you blasted fool cat. I ain't done nothing, I tell you. Bill... Oh, Bill, please, tell him who I am, will I, I He, he thinks I'm a horse thief. I ought to let Genevieve speak her piece, but I gotta keep control of myself. The law's come out here to the West now. Nori, call the sheriff. Oh, Bill, please, do something. I didn't do nothing honest. I was just looking around. <laughs> oh, Gus. Hey, pardon me. <laughs> you guys seen you someplace before? Oh, me? That's a funny thing. I could have swore I'd seen you before. Your face looks right familiar. <laughs> Did you ever ride range for Luke Collins? No. No? Cash Wilkins, maybe. No. No? <laughs> well, I guess it must have been over at the old double bar ranch then. No, I didn't get either. Now, wait a minute now. It's just coming to me. Uh, Gramps, this is Mr. Rice, a friend of mine. Mr. Now, give me that gun. Well, I'm mighty glad to meet you, Mr. Rice. I swear I'd seen you before. Maybe the night of the Ironwood stage robbery. It was one of them Gramps, that... now, please. Yeah, These I... gentlemen aren't interested in... Who? Who scuttled out that door? That was Gus Scuttle. Oh, horse thief, huh? 
Doggone it, I should have hogtied him in the first place. All right, I'm giving you fair warning. I'm going to count to three, then I'm coming for you. Gramps, give me that gun. When I do, I'm a coming to smoking. One, two... I'll take that gun. Three. Hey, somebody got my gun. Somebody stole Genevieve. Aha, uh-huh. Genevieve, eh? Huh? Why, that's it, of course. What do you who, mean? Who, who's got my gun? There's only one man in the West that calls his six-gun Genevieve, and he always gives a fair warning before he comes out of smoking. That man's Cole Sheldon. Cole Sheldon? And the Cole Sheldon stories are written by Shorty West. Gramps here is Shorty West. Why, I ain't no such thing. Oh, it's all my fault. I, I guess Gramps really is Shorty West. All I did was write down the stories he told me. We needed the money, and... Well, we're going to have plenty of money now, Nori. We are? Yep. What with the new highway coming right through here? Elmer Haskins told me about it last week. That's how come I sold out to that oil company. They're going to build a new station here. What? But you sold the property? Well, I sure did. Got a right fine price for it, too. Oh, Gramps, then you're not angry. Why, golly, no. Getting too blasted city fight around here anyway. I've been sort of hankering to shove on for quite a spell. No, I meant about me selling your stories. Why, that's all right, Nora. What do you think I sent you to that journalism school for? Why, Gramps. <clears throat> well, it looks to me as though you better sign this contract, Gramps. Me? Well, I can't write. Millions of people think you can. You? <laughs> well, shucks, all I can do is jabber. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess old J.B. can't very well object to a man dictating his stories to a private secretary, can he, Miss Stevens? Miss Stevens, I... Oh, I beg your pardon. Oh, Bill. Forgive me. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Well, I'll... All right, Mr. Stevens, you might as well just sign this contract. All right, sir. You ask for it. Here you be. Well, you just put an X on the paper. Well, of course it did. I said I couldn't write, didn't I? That's why I sent Nori to that school, so there'd be one writer in the family. <laughs> and the curtain falls on the last act of another strange Broadway performance at the Little Theater of Times Square. This is the way in this party are receiving a great ovation. A plague to him. If the first night is like it, listen to that applause. Next week, ladies and gentlemen, there's a real treat in store for you at the Little Theater. An exciting pirate yarn called Drink for the Damned. It's a swashbuckling story of high seas adventure, interwoven with a tender, heart-gripping romance. It's packed with suspense and paid off with a surprise. You'll want to hear it, so join us next week, won't you, at this same time. And ladies, to give a magic touch to your complexion, get the new cream makeup, Magic Touch. Now we move out of the theater and into the street. Here's your cab, Mr. First Nighter. Thank you. Good night. Campana's First Nighter program, starring Barbara Luddy and Olin Soule, is a copyrighted radio feature. Tonight's play was pure fiction and did not refer to real people or actual events. To help protect peace for America, join the Citizen Marine Corps. 
Men 17 to 32 are eligible. Citizen Marine Corps members serve America while living and working at home. Special training and benefits are available. Inquire at your nearest Marine Corps recruiting office or post office. Play safe. Never scratch an irritated skin. It can cause serious infection. Use DDD Prescription, a cooling, soothing liquid that brings almost instant relief from the irritating discomfort caused by eczema, rash, hives. DDD Prescription is a doctor's formula, proved in use for over 50 years. Trial bottle, 35 cents. The First Nighter program came to you over CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's this week's Mutual Presents feature. The Mutual Audio Network brings the best of old-time radio and modern audio theater to the world. Be sure to subscribe through the Mutual Audio Network podcast feed, any of our podcast days, or the Mutual YouTube channel, which includes MadCon and many other extra features and shows. See you all next time at Mutual Presents. Good night. Thank you for listening to Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network. We invite you to continue the amazing audio tomorrow on Mutual with the Monday Matinee. Our weekly series of dramatic, theatrical, classic, eclectic, and live radio dramas. You can subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed every day for the world's largest curated collection of audio drama. Or find the Monday Matinee feed in your favorite podcast players. See you tomorrow at the matinee, and thanks so much for listening. The Mutual Audio Drama Network, where we listen and imagine together.